able to sing that I know my Redeemer lives. I love to be able to sing that I know that He gives life to me and to all who would be willing to abide by His commandments and submit to Him. Please open your Bibles to 1 John 2. I want us to notice beginning with verse 1. 1 John 2, 1. The Apostle writes, My little children, these things write I unto you, that ye sin not. And if any man sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. And he is the propitiation for our sins, and not for ours only, but also for the sins of the whole world. And whereby we do know that we know him, if we keep his commandments. He that saith, I know him, and keepeth not his commandments, is a liar, and the truth is not in him. But whosoever keepeth his word, in him verily is the love of God perfected. Hereby know we that we are in him. Have you ever heard someone make the statement? You might be talking about whatever topic has arisen, and someone has a a, a a deep-seated belief in that, and they make the phrase or make the statement, I'd bet my life on it. I've probably made that statement several times in my life. I don't recommend it, but uh, I have done that. But what does that mean? That means that a person is so sure of something they'd stake their very life on it, right? Now, Normally, what that individual is talking about is some kind of a gamble or a wager or a chance, something of that nature, right? Now, on occasion, someone will say, I bet my life on it, something uh, concerning something that is truly true. But that statement is often made, and it's often made uh, in a frivolous manner. Now, we use that illustration. We're not endorsing gambling or anything like that. That's a sinful act that we... We won't participate in, but there are not many things in this life that I would make the statement, I'd bet my life on it. Now, there are a few things in this life that if I were going to make a statement such as that, a few things would fall into that category. Now, this word confident, and really that's what it boils down to, isn't it? having confidence in something, being confident in knowing the outcome of something, you rest assured, you understand exactly how it will turn out. Many of us look back on our lives and we say, you know, I can remember growing up and uh, after I got grown and left home, and, and particularly in my case, if I, if I needed some advice or something, I would call my father and I knew every single time I would get what I was looking for. I was confident in that. I understood that there was no other option when it came to that particular thing. When we read through the Bible and we we read the words of the inspired writers and we learn the message that God has delivered to us, we ought to have that same confidence. We ought to be able to look at that and we ought to be able to say, I believe what that says. I am confident in the Word of God. Now, confidence is something that we prize in this life, isn't it? How many presidents get elected who are not confident in themselves? 
How many world leaders get elected who are not confident in themselves? Someone who won't even look you in the eye, that won't stand up. How much trust are we going to put in that individual to lead our nation? And that's just an example, but it's a good one, isn't it? How many war generals who are battle-hardened, how many of those men and women are not confident in what they can do and the skills of which they have? I would say very few. Confidence is something that is highly prized in our world. It's prized in our uh, social lives. We want to be confident, don't we? Have you ever been in a situation where you weren't confident? I think probably all of us, in some sense or another, have been in a situation where we weren't confident. And how enjoyable was that? Well, that wasn't enjoyable at all. In fact, it was a little bit awkward, wasn't it? You're looking for the door. You would rather be somewhere else. You don't want to be in that situation where you feel like you're not confident. Yeah, I believe it is sad when faithful Christians do not have the confidence to say, I know there's a crown of life waiting on me when this one is over. That's not an arrogant confidence. That's not a confidence based in a wager or a gamble or a chance or something like that. That is a confidence given to us by a thorough study of the Word of God and a deep-seated faith in what He has told us. Faithful Christians understand and know what God expects. Faithful Christians will be willing to do those things. And by doing that, we can say, I know that I know. I'm saved. I know that I know Him. We can make that statement. That's a statement of confidence. It was Paul who said this, 2 Timothy 4, beginning with verse 6. He said, For I'm now ready to be offered, and the time of my departure at His hand. He said, I have fought a good fight. I have finished my course. He knew what He had accomplished in this life. He knew He had been fighting the good fight. He knew that He had finished the course. He knew that He kept the faith. And then He says, henceforth. Now, we don't normally use that word, do we, in today's language. Because of that, He says, there's laid up for me a crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, shall give me at that day. And not to me only, but unto all them also that love His appearing. Do you see how that fits so closely into what the Apostle of Love said? We've got an advocate for us, but not just us, to anybody who would be obedient. Do you see how the Bible fits together? There aren't any cracks or crevices. All the pieces line up perfectly. Why was Paul able to know that there would be a crown of life waiting on him. Confidence, that prized trait that everybody wants, whether we have it or not. We want confidence. It's the same confidence where John could say, and hereby we do know that we know him, if we keep his commandments. This isn't a confidence based on something that is a shot in the dark. 
This is something that we can read with our very eyes, something we can understand with our minds, something we can place in our hearts, allow faith to grow, and we can know we'll be in heaven. Isn't that comforting? Understanding that we've lost people who are faithful that we love, but I know I'll see them again. That helps us move on, doesn't it? It helps us move through the problems of this life. John would go on to say, For this is the love of God that we keep His commandments, and His commandments are not grievous. 1 John 5, 3. You see how it fits together? I can know, I can have this confidence, but how do I know? Because I've got His commandments. And they're not too grievous to bear. They're not too difficult to fulfill. I can do it because God gave them to me and He wants me to do it. We can know we've been given God's commandments. We can know that I can choose to keep those commandments. And because of that, I can know that I'm saved. God wants us to know that we're saved. God doesn't want us running around, wringing our hands all the time, scared to death, I'm not going to make it to heaven. Have I done enough? Have I done enough? No, you haven't done enough. I haven't done enough. It's impossible. We can't do enough. But we can be faithful. And when we're faithful, I don't have to wring my hands. I don't have to worry about something that happened at some point in my life. Did God forgive me of that? Do I have faith in God? Do I have enough faith in God to take Him at His word and to believe that He has forgiven me of some sin that's happened in my life? I better, or I'm not going to be able to have this confidence. We know that we know. How do we know that? We're going to notice in John's passage for just a few moments. To begin with, I know I can be saved. I know when I am saved. And I can have confidence in that. We can know that we know because we have an advocate. We're not in this thing by ourselves. We have someone who will stand in for us. You know there are a whole lot of people in this life that have no one physically in this life who will stand in for them. There's not a person sitting in this room right now that can say that. Isn't that a blessing? Each one of us have someone that will stand in for us when we need it. What a blessing. What a, what a wonderful thing not to have to carry around, well, what will I do if something happens? Well, those of us in this building right now, all we have to do is look around and we'll see a whole bunch of people. Then all we have to do is ask. They'll stand in for us. An advocate has a purpose. It has a purpose An advocate pleads your case, talks on your behalf. That's what lawyers do in our day, doesn't it? An advocate represents his client. An advocate will stand in when nothing else will work. When no one else can do it, that advocate will do it. Christ is our advocate. That's what John said in our passage. We can know that we're saved because Christ is our advocate. Isn't that heartwarming? But why must it be that Christ is our advocate? Why not someone else? Now, we have a whole lot of intercessors in this life, don't we? We pray on behalf of each other. We we understand when those whom we love are sick or ailing or going through uh, stressful times, whether financially or personally or physically or whatever the case may be, 
pray for that individual, won't we? We'll pray for ourselves, for our family members, for our friends. We pray for people we don't even know. We have a lot of intercessors. The Holy Spirit is an intercessor on our behalf, isn't He? When we pray and we're needing something so bad and we just can't really put our finger on it, we can't really articulate it to God. Now, He understands. The Holy Spirit will intercess on our behalf. He'll carry that message to God for us. So we have a lot of intercessors. We only have one mediating advocate, and that's Christ. We need Him because He can do for us what no other person can. He gave His life. He shed His blood. He gives us that encouragement. No one else. Tell me someone else who even tried to do that. If someone did try to do that, we'd think they'd lost their mind, wouldn't we? We wouldn't believe it. But only Christ did it. And He was successful in doing that. Christ is our greatest intercessor and mediating advocate because He lived in this life and He understands exactly what we're facing. He knew what it was like to lose those close to you. He knew what it was like to suffer hardships in this life. He knew what it was like to be poor. He knew what it was like to be mistreated. He knew you fill in the blank. He understands it. We're not going to be able to stand on that last day and say, Lord, you just don't understand what it was like. No, He understands. He understands the human condition far better than we do. He sees it in the big picture, doesn't He? We are so short-sighted and so narrow-minded when it comes to living in this physical life, that we just don't grasp it sometimes. We don't want to give up certain things because we enjoy them in this life. This life is not going to last very long. If you live to be as old as Methuselah, it's a short period of time, especially when we consider eternity. And so we're so short-sighted that we can't really understand it like we ought to, but we better get a handle on it. So he understands the human condition. He understands that He's our advocate and He did something for us and He willingly did that. But at the same time, if He did something for us, what are we to do in return? We have to do something, right? What's our purpose? What's the purpose of mankind? Well, according to our passage, it is that we do not sin. He said, children, I'm writing this to you so that you will not sin. But if you do sin... You have an advocate. Someone that will take your place. Now he's not talking about living a life of sin. He's not talking about turning your back on God and then the advocate comes in and and just takes care of everything just like it never happened. He's talking about the one walking in the light and we know that because of chapter 1. He's talking about that person who on occasion sins and slips up because we all do that. But what the difference between the world and faithful Christians is the fact that when we do slip up and when we do make a mistake, we recognize that and we do something about it because we want to get to heaven because of all these things that God has done for us. We don't want to stand before the judge of all men not having done the things necessary. We don't want to stand... Well, I'll tell you this, if we're standing 
in whatever that situation is. And, and of course, in my mind, as I read those things, I see this huge crowd of everyone who ever populated the earth standing before the King of Kings, and we're waiting for our turn. Now, is that how it's going to be? I doubt it. But I know this for certain. This isn't possible, but if it were, if we're standing in that crowd and we're thinking, I wonder if I'm going to make it, we're not. We're not. Why? What did John say? You've got an advocate. There's a purpose for his being our advocate. We can know that we know him if we keep his commandments and we can do that. And thank God for that advocate who has a purpose, who brought us his plan. It is so simple. Why? Of all the things in the world to argue about, religion should never be one of them. Never should be one of them. It's too clear in the Bible. Paul said we can understand it the same, that you might understand the mystery. He said, I write the same thing and I teach the same thing in all the churches. He's talking about the congregations of those uh, of the church for which Christ died, the one in Rome, the one in Galatia, the one all throughout. This was before the day of denominations. He said, I teach the same thing everywhere I go. If he teaches the same thing wherever he goes, we ought to be able to understand his plan. And we can, and he delivered that to us, our Lord did. People of the world have never been burdened with the necessity of devising a plan of salvation. Isn't that wonderful? Who would have ever thought about God's plan of salvation unfolding the way in which it unfolded? I would have never thought about it. Well, we might come up with some faith. We might even come to the realization that we need to stop doing things in our lives that that are not good or not considered good. We might be able to consider that how we would ever confess the man Christ Jesus as the son of God how would we know to even do that what would make anybody want to go down into a a body of water and be dunked under that water to come up out of it what's that going to do for you I could never come up with that on my own but you know when I when I read the message And I see what God says about it. Boy, now there's a whole new meaning to all those things, right? Why do I have belief? Because of the message. Why would I want to repent? Because of the message. Why would I say that Jesus Christ and let the world know I believe He is the Son of God? That He died for me, rose again, and now He's sitting at the throne, at the right hand of the throne by the Father. How would I even know that? Because of the message. It means something to me now. What would make me want to go down into a cold pool of water and be dunked under, buried? Because of what the message says. Now it means something entirely different. We ought to to have an onslaught of people coming into this building. Can't wait to get into that water because of the message. But the message was given to us by our advocate who has a purpose and brought that plan. That's why I can know that I have salvation because I have an advocate and our second point is because that advocate brought with him atonement for sin that's what John said he was given 
for us. In, in, in other words, He paid our ransom, didn't He? We owed a debt. We couldn't pay. But someone was going to pay. We couldn't do a thing to relieve ourselves of that debt. Nothing. We just simply were going to have to pay the debt. All sin requires punishment. Do you know what the punishment for sin is? Death. Period. That's what it is. Now either everyone who has ever lived in this world is going to have to die spiritually or our advocate bringing atonement to us, paying our ransom, died in our stead. And that's exactly what happened. That's why I know I can be saved. John calls him a propitiation. That means a suitable sacrifice. It's a big long word meaning a very simple thing. A suitable sacrifice, an appropriate sacrifice. Why do we need that? What's the big deal about a propitiation? How many sacrifices would you imagine were made over the 4,000 years when they were used by the patriarchs, by those under the law of Moses? It would be impossible to count. And they didn't work. Not for this purpose. They did what they were designed to do. So we needed a suitable sacrifice, some, something that was perfect, right? Hebrews 10, 4, for it is not possible that the blood of bulls and goats should take away sin. Not possible. Not going to happen. Because it's a dumb animal, right? What's that animal ever done other than just do exactly what God created it to do through instinct? Nothing special about those animals. Christ is our ransom. He paid a debt we couldn't pay. That renders God favorable toward us. That's atonement. That takes His wrath away. That reconciles us back to Him. That enables us to have peace with Him. That's atonement. Notice what Paul said, Romans 5, 11. But we also joy in God through our Lord Jesus Christ by whom we have now received the atonement. Now there is a, an atonement. There has been a, a ransom given for us, but in order to take advantage of that ransom, there are requirements. Again, we go back to Romans six twenty three. For the wages of sin is death. Justice has to be served every single time. Because God is God. He is just. He is righteous. There's no wavering within His character. He does what He says He will do. And he tells us what he will do. The entire section of John's letter, 1 John 1, 5, all the way through chapter 2, talks about the requirements of the attainment of this gift. It's a well-ordered argument designed to reveal to us the great blessings that we have in Jesus. Notice some of the things it talks about. There's no darkness in God because He is light. Now this darkness and light, of course we're talking about sin and righteousness. There's no sin in God because He is completely righteous. If we affirm we have fellowship with God yet we walk in darkness, He says we lie, we don't even know the truth. 
If we walk in the light, he says, we have fellowship with God and with each other. What a blessing. The blood of Jesus at that point will continually cleanse us. How can I know that I'm saved? How can I have that confidence? Because I've obeyed the gospel, and here's what my faith allows me to believe. If I am faithful in my obedience to God, His blood, Jesus' blood, will continually cleanse me from the sins of this life because I'll repent. I'll make the proper confession regarding those sins, and I'm in constant contact. That ought to give us so much confidence. The truth is in us if we acknowledge those sins and we do the necessary things, the requirements, to take care of them. And that happens in initial salvation and continual faithful living. We also learn Christ is not only our propitiation, but to all who would obey Him. God didn't choose a handful of us and tell the rest of us sorry. That's not righteous. That's not a just God that would do something like that. How dare someone blame God for doing something like that? He's there waiting. He's willing. He wants us to come to Him. And because of that, we can know that we're saved because He's provided it all. We should never not have the confidence of salvation. We need to trust God. We need to believe Him when He says, I'll save you. This is how I'll do it. And when we do it, we ought to know that we're saved. He's provided that for us. Isn't that one of the things that baptism does for us? Peter said that, 1 Peter 3.21, The like figure whereunto unto baptism doth also now save us, not the putting away of the filth of the flesh, but the answer of a clear conscience toward God. It washes away our sins, and by doing that, it gives us a clear conscience. We need to understand, I know I can be saved, because I've got an advocate. He brought atonement. But if we're going to be saved, we have to have allegiance. This is our last point. We have to have allegiance to God. We have to be faithful, right? By being faithful, Christ will keep His promises. And we're faithful by keeping His commandments. 1 John 2, verse 3. We can know. I don't know how much more strongly I can stress the point. We can know if we're keeping His commandments or not because it's laid out for us. The word keep is a verb in the Greek that that means a continuous action. If we keep His commandments and keep on keeping His commandments is probably how we would state it. That's the whole premise behind the idea of knowing that we know, right? How do I know? I do what God asked me to do and if I do what God asked me to do, I know I'm going to be saved and I ought to have a clear conscience I ought to be able to go through this life with a, with a smile on my face. Do you know what Paul was talking about when he talked about that peace that passes all understanding in the Philippian letter? Those people were enduring persecutions. They were being murdered and killed by Nero at that time. But those people during the reign of Domitian, when the Revelation was written, they were even going through worse. But they had Paul's letter to the Philippians as well. The peace that passes all understanding. Why? The world didn't understand. The Roman emperor said, what do you do with the people? They go singing to their deaths. How do you control someone like that? They won't be 
controlled. Why? They had the peace that passes all understanding. We know. I've done what God asked me to do. I'm going to heaven. Now, does that mean we want to walk over to the executioner's sword? Do we want to be bound by the stake and and the tender set on fire around us? No, that's that's not peaceful to us. But we know when that's over, hey, we will be in heaven. Just like Paul said, I fought the good fight. I kept the faith. I know there's a crown of righteousness waiting on me. We should never doubt that. What does that mean if we're doubting it? I don't know if so much I'm doubting myself as I'm doubting God. Will God save a sorry person like me? Have any of us ever had those thoughts in this life? Have we ever sat down and considered the things we've done in this life and and shake our heads and, and think there's no way God can save Someone as sorry as I am. I imagine Paul thought that. Didn't he call himself the chief of sinners? I'm the chief of sinners because I persecuted the church unto death. Don't you know he was happy when he watched Stephen be murdered? Don't you know he was excited when the Sanhedrin gave him those papers and he was headed toward Damascus and boy, he couldn't wait to throw some men and women and children in jail. And maybe even have them put to death. And when Christ appeared to him, do you think for a second all of that didn't flood right back into his mind, into the forefront of his thinking? And he said, what have I done? There's no way God can forgive me. But what does God want us to understand? Yes, he can because he's all powerful. He's all righteousness. He's all justness. And if we do what He asked us to do, we will be saved. Period. And we can know that. We have to be faithful. and We must never forget what God has done for us. Because of all of those things, we can go to bed at night. We can understand if something happens to me, if I've obeyed the gospel, if I've been faithful, that I'll be in heaven if something happens. Keepeth His word in verse 5 is the same as keepeth His commandments in verse 3. The words in Him, they indicate an intimate relationship. We're in Him. We're part of Him. We're part of Christ's body, aren't we? In fact, do you know what we are? We are Christ's body. That in and of itself is is a blessing beyond compare. If we're going to know God and be in Him, we've got to keep His commandments. We can't forget that. God wants us to be confident, but He doesn't want us to be confident in something that is not correct. Right? We need to sit down with an open mind. We need to read Jesus' statement, John 14, 15, If you love me, keep my commandments. We need to...